0: Welcome to episode 296 of the AMPN podcast. In this episode, I'm speaking with RJ. RJ was one of the original aggregators back before there was a Thracio. back before this gold rush of aggregators. We're gonna be talking about the old days, about what's happening right now in the space, about what to think about if you're a seller and looking to exit, and a whole bunch of other really cool stuff. So enjoy the episode. Welcome to the a.m. p.m. podcast. Welcome to the a.m.
1: p.m. podcast. We explore opportunities
0: in e-commerce.
1: We dream big and we discover what's working right now. Plus, plus, this is the podcast for Money Never Sleeps.
0: Working around the clock in the a.m. and the p.m.
1: Are you ready for today's episode? I said, said, are 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 you you ready? ready. Let's do this. Let's do this.
0: Here's your host, Kevin King. Kevin King. Richard Chandra or just RJ, how are you doing, man? I'm so happy to have you here on the AMPM pm podcast. Welcome.
1: It's great to be here, Kevin. It's been uh, a, a long time of, of getting to know you, and uh, actually hearing you on the AMPM is uh, coming full circle on a couple of stories.
0: Yeah, it is. It's actually, we go back, and you, you're the guy that a lot of people have probably Don't know the name, but they should because you've had played an instrumental role in this entire aggregator space and what's happening. So let's tell tell them a little bit about a little bit uh, about your background before we jump into that. You've been like you've been in this tech space since like the early nineteen nineties, I think, before there was a Google. Back when there was Lycos and uh, all those kind of stuff, right?
1: Yeah, I actually uh, was running an ad agency in Singapore, and in January nineteen ninety nine, Singapore Telecom basically was one of my clients and they they said have you ever heard of the World Wide web and uh i said yeah i have and they said can you build us a website this is january of 94 and i had no idea what a mm-hmm. website was uh and i remember uh being in the lobby after the meeting and running down and calling one of my friends on a pager remember him, pagers uh and they uh, oh yeah he basically I basically <laughs> you know I, yeah i basically asked him like what the hell is a website and, he, you know, he was a geek, a computer geek, and he, he was like, he started explaining it. I just said, shut up, shut up. Can you build it for me? And that was like the, my intro into uh, the World Wide Web, January 94. So I've been it from the start. I've been in a variety of uh, early stage startups and more recently later stage uh, um, companies, more mature companies, six-time CEO in technology and as you alluded to, a lot of people often accuse me uh, of being the godfather of the aggregators uh, movement in the Amazon space.
0: Yeah. You go back as far as me. I think I will, you were... Uh Early 1994, I think I was mid 1994 is when I sent my first official email or something like that. It's changed a lot. But like you said, you've been the CEO of six different companies in the space, some big ones too, like ClickBank and Matt MyFitness and Technorada, And you've been uh, most recently were involved with Spiceworks, Zip Davis, a whole bunch of other stuff. But the thing where we connected, it was in this aggregator space. And, you know, I remember back around 2016, 2017, I think it was, I was listening to a podcast from Ryan Daniel Moran. And he had talked about, he just sold his yoga mat company to somebody that bought it for like $2 million. And I was like, what the heck? Wait a second. People buy businesses, Amazon businesses. And I looked it up in some outfit out of Chicago. I can't even remember the name of it right now, but it's some sort of group out of Chicago, I believe it was that bought his little yoga mat business for like $2 million. What what was the name?
1: I I don't remember what it was, but it was a a boutique uh, PE fund, private equity fund.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then that's about all I heard of. I was like, that's a kind of a cool concept. And then I think it must have been about 2017, 2018, somewhere around in there. I get this random email. To one of my brand accounts you know I, I have five different brand account five different brands selling on amazon this random email comes in uh, and it's like hey uh, my name is richard or people call me rj i'd like to to talk to you i don't remember exactly what you said but i'm putting together a deal to, to buy amazon businesses i happen to be here in austin i see that you're in austin we get together for lunch i'll be happy to buy you some barbecue and i was like anybody that's gonna buy me barbecue i'm there i'm like i'm on the way <laughs> and so <laughs> i think that's how you you've reached out at first and come to find out, you know, you were putting together at that time, you hadn't started your company yet, but you were starting in the process of starting a company that later became 101 commerce and you're doing your due diligence. You were doing your homework. I think I remember meeting you for the first time. You're like, you know what? I've done well in life. You know, I don't need to work, but this looks like a pretty cool challenge and I want to give it a go. And so you were talking to everybody in the space. I remember hearing from other people that, hey, did you hear from this guy named RJ? Yeah, he contacted me. He contacted me. So can you walk us through that process and how, how you became interested in this in this crazy Amazon world?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, if we go through the full origin story, it uh, goes back a little bit before that. I was the CEO of Bodybuilding.com, uh, which was about a half-billion-dollar-a-year vitamin and supplement company and uh, e-commerce, direct-to-consumer. And I was hired to kind of uh, like reboot the company, take over from the founder, and uh, a couple months into the, the, the deal, I was realizing, hey, you know, this, this, there's some major cracks in, in the uh, foundation here. Uh, and I remember telling one of the investors, I said, you know, I think your company may be in trouble. And, of course, they didn't like hearing that. But uh, the first thing they said, is it Amazon? Is it Amazon? I'm like, well, it's Amazon. But what I didn't realize, it took me another few months to realize it wasn't just our wholesale uh, partners that sold on bodybuilding.com that were moving to Amazon. It was what I call death by a thousand paper cuts. And that was all the mom and pop, you know, vitamin and supplement brands that I'd never even heard of that were selling protein powder and, and you know, pre-workout and post-workout stuff. And uh, all of a sudden I was like going, man, there's thousands of these little sellers. And invariably, you know, uh, that, uh, that gig ended in early 2017. Uh, there was really not a, a, a good path with uh, the competition from Amazon, not just the wholesale going over there, but also these mom and pops um, that I kind of went into semi-retirement, and, but I couldn't stop thinking about all these mom and pops. So I joined a couple of solopreneur and e-commerce communities to kind of meet, you know, solopreneurs and digital nomads that were running Amazon FBA businesses. And I kept hearing the same story over and over, uh, you know, that, oh, I'm, you know, I started a brand in 2015 or 2016. Uh, I was making, you know, $40,000 a year. My life looked like office space. I was in a cube and I was just trying to get a side hustle. (laughs) Next thing I know, I'm making $100,000 a year on Amazon. I quit my job, say F you to the man, and and then I become an e-commerce entrepreneur. So I heard that over and over. Um, And then uh, I remember one day, I was riding a bike, and of course, I became obsessed with some of the podcasts, and AMPM was one of the ones that I became super obsessed with, and I think I listened to you know hundreds of episodes of that all the way back to the first one, and then I'm listening to one, and, and it's you, Kevin King and Manny Coates, uh, and I'm literally riding my bike uh, out in the hill country, and I stopped my bike and, and wrote down, Kevin King. I got to Google this guy, cyber stock him and and look him up because of all the the people I'd listened to, you know, and all these other podcasts, I I didn't, I don't remember uh, anybody that really impacted me the way you talked about, you know, running one of these businesses and, um, and all that. So, yep, you're right. You got the story. I emailed you, Brando, and, uh, we met and, uh, kind of became Amazon and business friends since. That was a really important meeting. And then, of course, I picked your brain multiple times after that. In the process, probably talked to, I think, 700 Amazon sellers, um, you, you know, in a very short period of time, probably like three or four months. And then in the, uh, the late in, in uh, 2017, founded 101 Commerce. And, um, you know, that's kind of a funny story, too. I was talking to hundreds of FBA sellers and uh, you know, to that point, I think, you know, when, when you were talking about Ryan selling his, his business, there really wasn't an MNA secondary market for FBA businesses, you know, before 2016. And then all of a sudden, you know, there were a couple sold and then 2017, all of a sudden there were hundreds of them sold. And, you know, I was like, well, how come nobody's tried to buy a whole bunch of these things? Because the margin profiles were all really good. I can't even tell you how many, you know, sellers I met that were having 30% net margins and SDE margins and all that. And I was like, well, if some, and there were so many too. That was the other thing. There's so many. And I was like, well, if I bought a hundred of these with a 30% net margin, I would have the most profitable e-commerce company ever known to man. If I bought, uh, you know, a hundred one $1 million businesses with 30% nets. And that's where the idea came from. And then of course, to make it catchy, uh, I bumped it up to 101 and, and kind of stole the California Highway sign and said, that's 101 Commerce.
0: Yeah, you ended up uh, launching and I remember you were trying to hire me and I was like, no, I'm not really interested in coming and working uh, for somebody. I'm happy just running my business, but I'll be happy to, uh, to help you out or uh, help you in any way any way that I can introduce you to some people. I remember uh, one of your guys came out to one of the events, I think it was a Prosper show or something. And I was like introducing him to some people, helping him out. But when you, when you started 101, I'm, I remember, you know, you brought in some big hitters. You brought in some people from like, uh, you know, Retail Me Not. And uh, I think the shipping coordinator guy at Dollar Shave Club. And you, you weren't playing around. I mean, you, you put together a pretty good team, but uh, of people from the, from outside the Amazon space that really had some logistics experience and had some e-commerce experience. But I think you found it a little bit hard to actually find people with Amazon experience, because a lot of the people that you're talking to that had the Amazon experience that were the big sellers really weren't interested in, in going and working for somebody else. And I remember you tell me, hey, just come work for us and you'll get paid twice. I'll buy your business and then, you know, we'll, we'll pay you and get some nice equity or something. And I think you're kind of running up into a wall on some of that. Is is that true?
1: Yeah, it was was really hard. And it is still very hard for aggregators to hire people with Amazon experience because anybody with really good Amazon experience is running their own brand. And uh, if they're really good at it, they're making too much money. So uh, it it doesn't even make sense to offer them uh, any kind of rational salary or anything like that because they're already making so much more than that. Um, and it's still true today. I mean, as in the consulting I do with aggregators, uh, you know, it's one of the biggest things that that I always get hit with is, Hey, can you help us hire people? And I'm like, Nope, good luck. (laughs) You're going to have to, you're going to have to, um, you know, now for an aggregator to kind of get into it, uh, and really train people, they, they've got to figure out a way initially to keep some of the, the great entrepreneurs in there until they can train enough people to kind of start running these things the right way. Uh, but that was certainly a problem with us you know um and with 101 you know we certainly ran into problems early on simply because we 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 closed all these deals i think we closed uh eight deals in 75 days uh right out of the gate and then i remember we closed the eighth one and we're sitting around a picnic table three of us and we're kind of like well now we got to run these things oh
0: crap (laughs) yeah that's that's what the hardest part right now is uh, i think a lot of these aggregators you know there's about I don't know what the actual count is, but there's there's over a hundred aggregators in the in the space at least uh, as of this recording. Who knows? Someone may be going under before this comes out. But there's quite a few of them out there, and a lot of them, you know, they got some good people on the team. You know, they got a lot of Wall Street guys, a lot of Harvard MBAs, a lot of M and A skills. But they don't have those operational skills that it really takes this is running an Amazon business is a, a guerrilla marketing type of business that in in a, in a lot of ways can be scaled up. But a lot of them just really don't know anything about it and. A lot of them, the the sellers that they're buying from know a heck of a lot more, even the inexperienced sellers know a heck of a lot more than they do. So why do you think that is? Why do you think it's so difficult to actually get people, like you you just kind of alluded to it, they're making more money, but why do you think if someone that sells out, or or there's a lot of people that give it a try on Amazon even, and they don't succeed, you know, they don't have the right funding or something, but they're smart people. Why can't those people be hired?
1: Yeah, Kevin, you, you know as well as anybody, because you've trained so many successful sellers That to be good at Amazon at scale, and I'm talking like over a million dollars in GMV and definitely you get into different strategy or stratospheres altogether when you're over 5 million or 10 million in revenue. But you know that you got to be good at at least five or six things. And most people in their life are usually good at one or two things. But at Amazon, you got to be good at five or six things, uh, you know, whether it be advertising or product development or supply chain, inventory management, uh, or, uh, you know, doing listings, good copywriting. I mean, you got to be good at a lot of things. got to be good at customer service. And so it, it is really hard to find people that can do all that. I think the aggregators have really thought this out pretty well at this point. And, you know, because, I mean, we were first and then, you know, Thrasio came behind us and there's a, bu- a bunch of others that basically built it into their plan that we're going to have to get some Amazon experience early and then figure out how to train multiple functional experts know all those things that just rattled off plus 10 more but you know early on it was nearly impossible i I can't tell you how many people like you i tried to convince to come on board and help us out and and uh they would only do it part-time you know as consultants uh they were just too busy running their own amazon businesses
0: yeah i was just coming back two days ago from an event in new york i was up at nft new york and to get on get on the plane and a guy i'm walking down to my seat and a, a guy uh, stops me and says, hey, hey Kevin King. I, I'm like, I didn't recognize the guy. And he's like, I used to work for 101 Commerce and I was at the, one of the things where you came in, you kind of trained us, you kind of came in and like gave us a little, you know, couple hours lecture or something. And I'm like, ah, nice, nice to see you. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it was hard. It, it was hard to get, to, get, to get people to come in. It still
1: is. You know, one of the things I've advised, you know, the aggregators that I've, I've done consulting for, uh, is that they, they kind of have to build their own internal university, you know, to really train up people um, in the right way. So, you know, the good ones are doing that. You know, the things I, I see happening today, uh, you know, again, I wish we'd had some of that uh, foresight uh, back in 2017,
0: 2018. And you said you're advising a lot of aggregators now. There's been over $15 billion raised in the aggregator space or at least uh, access to over 15 billion dollars committed, and you've been instrumental in about five plus billion dollars of that. So, can you tell me a little bit about that? What was your role there, kind of behind the scenes in that?
1: Yeah, so so you know, one on one, you know, let's, let's finish that that story because it segues into uh, you know, kind of the last couple of years, the the great funding bonanza, and then where we are now. But so one on one was what I'd call a, a sideways exit. Uh, or a sideways success. We were not anywhere near as successful as we wanted to be by any stretch of the imagination, though I wouldn't call it a failure either. So we ended up uh, selling that company to another company that now is a quasi-aggregator themselves, uh, interestingly enough. And that was in 2019. And you know, I, I, I kind of had a non-compete, so I, I, I went out of e-commerce for a year uh, and then phones started ringing off the hook in early uh, 2020. Uh, you know, around really Thrashio had really figured it out, um, and this is really true. You know, if you think about most new industries, the first company or the pioneer usually isn't the most successful. It's usually the fast followers that do much better because they they they've got you know six to twelve months of, of being able to look at the the wake of other companies.
0: Yeah, you're the one with the you're the one with the uh, arrows in its back. Uh, yeah. Something like
1: that. But it's, and it's so, it's so true. I can even think of social networking. Friendster was out there and then MySpace and then Facebook went and won it years later and other ones. And that, that happened with us. So I, I still have high hopes that, uh, that those stock certificates and the, and the other company will do pretty well at some point. Uh, but, uh, but that was, that was what ha- what happened. In 101. And then, uh, lo and behold, Thrasio, um, uh, uh, announced uh, an incredible Series B uh, investment round at an incredible valuation. Uh, and I think it was in February or March of uh, 2020, and of course, this other thing called COVID also hit around then too, <laughs> uh, sending everybody uh, you know flying for Zoom meetings and stuff. But I got called a lot after, after Thrashio announced that Series B round, and all these investors started calling me up saying, hey, we're interested in investing in this space. You seem to know as much or more about it than anybody. Over the next two years, or year and a half, whatever it was, I ended up doing about 80 consulting engagements to private equity funds, venture funds, debt institutions, uh, as well as aggregators themselves, I, I work for uh, multiple aggregators and helping them formulate their strategy or, or figure out a tactical plan or hierarchy executive or something like that. Uh, so I did about 80 consulting engagements. And to your point, um, by my count, I, I was probably involved in about five and a half billion of debt and equity financings uh, that I can actually you know, count. Uh, There's probably uh, maybe a little bit more just from some of the blind diligence calls I I did um, for various investors. But, uh, yeah, that that uh, is is a wild one, because uh, in in the midst of multiple or or several of those calls, um, you know, I got asked again if I wanted to do it, if I wanted to do it again and and try it again. But with a much, much, much bigger pool of money than when we had uh, available to us at one on one commerce. Um, ultimately, uh, I decided not to go do it again, and instead work with some other aggregators in a, in a consulting or investor uh, capacity.
0: So there's, there's uh, of all these aggregators out there, I think there's, uh, last count, I think Marketplace Pulse said there's like over 30 of them have raised over $100 million. Can you walk us through, the audience that doesn't know, is that actually money in the bank, or is that, that equity and a line of, uh, line of credit, or how does that often work when they raise these big big amounts of money?
1: yeah so so uh there were some very big pr announcements and and there are some legitimate nine-figure equity investments there were multiple uh um, nine-figure uh, equity investments but most of the press releases at least for the first founding uh, investments were usually equity and debt and it was usually a, a probably um, anywhere from 25 to 50 million dollars in equity financing, and then 150 to 200 million in debt financing. So they'd, then they'd say, "Oh, we raised 300 million dollars," uh, but the actual equity amount was usually between 20 and 50, $50 million dollars. Which, by the way, is still not insignificant. That's a lot of money for an in, initial uh, funding for any company.
0: So back again, you kind of mentioned in a minute ago but why aggregate? Why, you know, when you were doing this at, at 101. The multiples were probably in the two to three-ish range, maybe. But now they're they've crept up to you know at sometimes between four and eight. I think they're crep- creeping back down now. But why why has so have so many companies come into the space? You know, over a hundred of them. What has really attracted them to this? Because in, in my opinion, there's only so many good businesses you can buy on Amazon. You know, there's a lot of business that may be cash flowing, but they're not really making good money. And I, I think it's you know, it's finite. They, you know, what's the latest number is 15 or 20,000 are doing over a million of dollars a year in sales on Amazon worldwide. You know, half of those or more are big brands like Nike and Adidas and, you know, the big, big names out there. Another big chunk of them are wholesalers and drop shippers and stuff. So there's a finite number of these businesses out there and it's attracted so much money what is the big attraction is it just become the end thing on wall street or what is drawing them so much
1: well i think it goes back to what some of the things that i was attracted to back in 2017 and that's that um because of the amazon fba platform you can have an incredible amount of operating leverage and run at much higher profit margins than a direct consumer business Uh, because essentially you're outsourcing all the things that are hard about e-commerce to Amazon, you know, whether it be traffic, uh, supply chain, delivery, fulfillment, all that. Those are all the hard things about e-commerce. I mean, you run a small e-commerce business for a long time, so you know exactly. I mean, I've been in your garage. I've seen you packing boxes. So, look, I mean, you know know how hard it is to kind of do all that when you're outsourcing a good deal of that. Amazon, uh, you know, that's where you get these companies that can literally net 25%, 30%. I've seen some that had 40% profit margins at scale. There's one stat I would probably correct you on, Kevin, and and that's that there's a lot more businesses out there that are doing a million dollars than you think. I think it's, by my count, it's about 65,000 $1 million or better businesses. And there's, uh, you know, um, I can't remember the exact number of eight-figure businesses, but it's well into the thousands. So there's a lot of targets out there. Now the problem is you you have somewhere, and again, it's a foggy number. Nobody really knows how many aggregators there are, but I've heard people claim 130. I've heard people claim 200. There's a lot of lot of aggregators trying to buy those sixty five thousand uh, dollar sixty five thousand dollar one million sellers or or whatnot. So it does get a little more crowded, a little harder to do. And as you rightly pointed out, not all of those are solopreneurs. Some of those are actually companies or real brands that are just happening to use FBA and uh, make up some of that $65,000 million seller. So you're right, it is getting crowded. um, But the attraction is still the operating margins. You you still can uh, run an incredibly efficient business with uh, a shockingly small number of employees for the amount of revenue per employee.
0: But what, what about the risks on that? I mean, you, you have those high margins, but you're dealing at that level, you're, you're playing in someone else's sandbox. I mean, at any point, it doesn't matter how much money you have or invested or how connected you are, Amazon can shut you down on a whim and you may not get back up or if you get back up, you're not gonna get back up at the same level. So how do they mitigate that or how do they evaluate that when they're putting this much money in?
1: Well, there's there's multiple Amazon risk, and but the the risk of getting booted off the platform, I think, is probably overemphasized. Um, to my knowledge, uh, you know, I've only heard of a handful of single brands for multi brand aggregators that that got you know kicked off or something or, or shut down, and it was usually over some product category that had a lot of risk inherent in it to begin with, like a hazmat. You know kind of category or something like that
0: yeah i wouldn't be so so much about the the company going under its its individual products having issues
1: yeah no i i, I hear you to me there's 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 definitely risk inherent in the amazon ecosystem for us one of the big problems we had is uh it was always the one thing that i was terrified of and we had our chinese factory Uh, start competing against us by launching their own brand that to me was the 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 largest risk uh, and it happened to us and it certainly you know kind of kicked us in the shins uh when when it occurred but um but there's other risks you know look i mean it's incredibly competitive uh to uh, you know achieve and maintain rankings as you know uh so i think the competition is probably as big a risk as anything else but look i mean I, i think that's something where Investors are—you know—that's what investors do—is they—they—they they make bets, <laughs> so they accept a certain amount of risk and they're willing to, to live with it. Uh, there are absolutely some investors who want to run for the hills after the investments they've made, and some are—you uh, know—are are happy with the investments they've made. But I don't think you're incorrect in pointing out, yeah, there's absolutely risk, but the flip side of that Kevin is what I'd say is there's risk in running a direct consumer business as well, where let's say a Google algorithm rank, uh, a ranking uh, you know, SEO change could also impact your business almost as much as being on the Amazon platform and, or it could be, you know, Facebook advertising, you know, changes one of their policies and all of a sudden, you know, all that Facebook traffic you were getting uh, gets crushed too. And we're already seeing that number uh, like iOS, Changing some of, uh, you know, its uh, advertising terms of service definitely impacted some of the social advertising, which has absolutely impacted a bunch of direct consumer websites as well.
0: Yeah, there's a big, big changes going on right there in in that space right now with the ability to follow people from site to site and some of the privacy stuff that's pretty, pretty impactful. That's a good point. Now, when you when you were actually starting to to buy businesses back in the 101 commerce days, you, you made a big point that you didn't really care about SDE. You're more looking at the, the net contribution margin. Is that a mistake that a lot of people make when they're buying businesses? They're looking at the wrong numbers. I know some of the, the brokers out there, they focus on this SDE or seller discretionary earnings versus net contribution. What Can you explain the difference in the two and why you really have to look at the right numbers when you're buying one of these businesses? Yeah,
1: for, for us, and I will say this, uh, I think a lot of people have discovered that now and a lot of aggregators I talk to now are less concerned with SDE um, than net contribution margin. In fact, I was just you know, grokking on uh, um, a consulting project with another aggregator who they don't look at anything that, that a broker sends them. They get into the Amazon account and they figure out what the net contribution margin is and the unit economics of every single ASIN versus the whole portfolio of ASINs. So it's a much more scientific approach, but seller discretionary earnings is the earnings that the, the seller would make from the whole business, including some ad bags if they're writing some stuff off or, you know, whatever. Whereas the, the real health metric on Amazon is understanding down, the unit economics down to the ASIN level. And, he, and that's one of the great things about Amazon as well, is it's very easy to, to literally do a P&L for every single ASIN.
0: Yeah, that, that's true. And so they're basically, when an aggregator comes in, they're just cherry-picking a seller's ASINs a lot of times. They're, a lot of people don't understand that they're not buying, the, oftentimes not buying the entire business. They're buying just certain ASINs or a portfolio of ASINs and not actually an entire business.
1: If you remember uh, at your first billion-dollar seller summit, when I spoke there, the, you know, that was one of the predictions I made is that people won't buy businesses in the future. They'll just buy ASINs. And that is happening to some degree, but I think people are still buying the whole business you know more often than not
0: what do you think is going to happen with the multiples you know they kind of skyrocketed because of some of the competition what do you think those are going to settle uh you know they, they were like when you're buying with 101 about two two and a half three maybe in that range you know occasionally go a little higher and then they've gotten up as high as eight or sometimes you hear the outlier that's even more than that what do you think it's a reasonable number that they're going to probably settle at uh, once all this this consolidation and the dust settles on all this.
1: Yeah, no, it, it, you're spot on. But but I mean, multiples change, you know, in every asset class uh, all the time. And uh, we had in the last 10 years, the such a low inflation, I'm excuse, so low inflation and interest rate environment that multiples, um, you know, started creeping up when COVID hit and uh, inflation started happening and all the competition started happening and all that. But you'll absolutely see a pullback in, in multiples. I think for 101, we bought our portfolio for a blended multiple of 2.7 times. And you know, if we bought the same portfolio in 21, 2021, we probably would have paid, you're right, probably in the low fours or something like that, uh, all in. Uh, it just got more expensive just because of the sheer amount of money that came in. And, and good deals get even better than that six to eight times it was not uncommon for a really good deal or good business. Um, but look, we're, you know, here we are in, you know, June of, uh, 2022, different environment. We've got a super high inflation environment. The central banks all around the world are raising interest rates. Uh, it's definitely going to have an impact and you can just see it like wall street is, uh, you know, not just wall street, but every equity market, uh, you know, is getting, um, you know, coming back down to earth, multiples are coming down and that's certainly going to impact uh, uh, the Amazon FBA ecosystem and e-commerce multiples in general. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think we're in, a, in, a, in an environment now where I think you're going to get back down to, to three to four times pretty consistently high twos. Um, but that that's probably healthy too, because I think frankly, things were kind of crazy in 21, 21 and when all that fifteen billion dollars of debt and equity just all of a sudden hit the market.
0: Now, when you were buying it, a lot of the early aggregator deals—they all they really cared about was Amazon. If you had a, uh, you know, some Shopify sales, unless it was significant, you know, I think I heard someone, maybe it was you, that actually said, unless it's over thirty percent, we don't really care about it. But has that changed a little bit? You know, there's even companies now that are aggregating Shopify sites and stuff. Has that changed? Do you think in the aggregator space where they're actually paying a little bit more attention to that D 2 C or that outside, or is it still? Most of them are just all they care about is the Amazon ASINs.
1: I think it it really has to do with the individual strategy of each aggregator. You know, I will say that some of the most successful aggregators I've seen refuse to have any non-Amazon, simply because it makes their operations much more complex and expensive. And and this is what I was getting. I was actually one of the proponents of of, uh, really maintaining mostly Amazon, uh, you know, to maintain profitability. But look, like I said, everybody's got a different strategy and there are are some that think a healthy percentage off Amazon is risk mitigation. Um, But what they haven't done is they haven't done the financial math of seeing, okay, 20% of my sales off Amazon. What does that do to my net margins? Uh, And actually the net margins go down when you sell direct to consumer. So uh, especially at scale. Uh, But, you know, like, like you just pointed out, there's Shopify, uh, aggregators uh, as well that uh, are now, I think, going to become pretty common as well. It really just depends on what your strategy is, what your core capabilities are. I think it's really difficult to be an aggregator and good at multi-channel marketplaces. That's going to be very challenging in the short term. More mature companies probably can pull it off. But being a startup and trying to manage multiple channels is really challenging.
0: So this reminds me, in some ways, of like 1999, 2000, in the internet days. You were you were there, where people were just coming into the this space and just blowing money like crazy. The Thrasios came in, they hired well over a thousand employees. You know, they were throwing big expensive parties at Prosper, sponsoring everything out there uh, to get their name out there. And now I'm seeing them all pulling back. A lot of them are now pulling back. They're they're being more selective in what they do. They're not spending all this money. They're laying off, you know, there's been a lot of press lately about different aggregators that have laid off significant numbers of staff. What do you think is happening here? Is Are we going through a consolidation right now or just they just grew too fast or what's happening in that?
1: Well, I'd separate two things. Uh, first is the macroeconomic environment and then the aggregator in the Amazon environment. Um, so first off, you know, we're, we're likely already in a recession now, even though the government hasn't... Uh, by the official statistics had the definition of a recession but yeah i think we're probably already in a recession and what happens in uh, any kind of recession or the fear of recession is almost every board of directors or investor group will tell their CEOs and their their leadership teams be really careful and don't don't you know pause your hiring for example uh, don't do as many deals from an M and A standpoint, or they may just say stop doing deals until we kind of understand where the market is going. So that's happening across every industry, not just e-commerce. I mean, literally every industry are having those conversations, uh, you know, with boards of directors uh, to CEOs, like just hey, be careful right now, go slow. Um, in the aggregator space, there was so much money put in so quickly. And generally when investors give you capital or, or debt, they want you to use it. And, you know, that's, that's, they don't just give it to you to uh, leave it in the bank, they actually want you to invest it in your business plan. And I think a lot of people went out and tried to do it. You know, Frankly, I may have you know, kind of caused some of this when I declared really early on on some podcasts, hey, we're gonna buy 101 businesses in 24 months. That's a lot of businesses to, to acquire. And I've subsequently seen that that in multiple uh, investor decks from other aggregators. And I think that happened. People went out with that kind of speed and pace. And then uh, I think a lot of them got out over their skis. You know, frankly, they, they got out ahead of themselves and started realizing some of the things that we opened up with. Is like, hey, these things are actually hard to run. And especially when you start buying multiple ones and all of a sudden you've got, you know, couple thousand ASINs and 30 seller central accounts that are serving 30 different markets you know it becomes very complex very fast um, so I think there's a whole combination of things But right? I would start with the macroeconomic but then the whole aggregator space itself probably moved too fast too soon and then there's some that frankly just have to figure out their stuff from an operational standpoint before they can keep growing
0: now, some of these these aggregators, do you see it, that there's going to be a consolidation? And I've heard that some of them, you know, they are looking at buying the bigger ones or, or buying the smaller ones or, or two smaller ones are merging together and they're kind of cherry picking what they're taking. They're not taking the whole portfolio of of another aggregator. Do you know anything about, about that or can you enlighten us uh, on what's happening? Yeah. Here?
1: So invariably, there were going to be winners and losers and there's already some losers out there. And I think you'll read about some train wrecks frankly. But short of train wrecks, um, you know, there are aggregators that were really good at, at this, this type of business. We're not really good in this category. And so I think you're also hearing aggregators that are talking to each other about rebalancing their portfolios so that they can maybe specialize in either certain types of uh, you know, product categories or you know, uh, other things that they're good at, maybe like supply chain and, and things that are supply chain intensive or something like that. I think you'll see that, but um, more important, I think there's just too much money put in too fast. And I just think you're going to have a, a lot of companies that are you know, either having really big problems or kind of middling through to the point where it's going to make sense for them to join forces with you know, a, a, a merger of equals or a larger
0: aggregator. So if I'm a seller right now and I've been thinking about selling my business or I'm preparing to, to do an exit, what should I consider given the current circumstances out there? Should I be assuming that whatever money money I get on closing day is all the money I may ever see because of all this consolidation? Or should I carefully pick the the, the, the company that I, I sell to? Or what would you recommend to a seller at this point from the seller's perspective of what some things they should consider or what they should be aware of if they're looking to exit?
1: yeah no i mean here's here's the thing selling your business is always a a, you know both a personal and a financial decision that you have to kind of make um there's a bunch of things you got to take into consideration obviously we're in more challenging economic times and a lot of aggregators are going to be much more conservative about the way uh they're acquiring how much they're acquiring what prices they're paying all that kind of thing but the reality is good companies get sold all the time even in the worst recessions Good companies will get acquired, um, and um, you know, so it's a real personal decision that, that the seller's got kind of to make. You know, of uh, you know what's the right time for them and their family, um, or what's also really important is the liquidity window. Um, and what I mean by the liquidity window is like, you know, sometimes M and just freezes up altogether, and in really hard recessions or like after the financial crash, there was this thing, nothing got done for a year. Uh, so the, the the liquidity window disappeared or shut completely. That hasn't happened so far in the Amazon space or the e-commerce space. Deals are still getting done. There's a lot of businesses that are still for sale. There's a lot of businesses that are still closing. Now the terms, as we've already talked about, the multiples may be coming down a little bit, but good deals are still getting done. And there's uh, creative structures where you may be able to take a, a lower multiple, but also have some skin in the game for you know, for some backend uh, compensation that help overall raises the value of your whole exit. Uh, the other thing to remember in the aggregator space is there's a lot of different strategies out there. Uh, and there's a lot of aggregators that were just funded to, you know, run, uh, you know, uh, their, their strategy. Um, there's very few that are going out and just kind of being a multi-category, we're gonna buy every category kind of thing. Most of the aggregators that have been funded recently have been something that are really niche, either from a product category standpoint or a geographic strategy, you know, we're only buying things in Spain, for example, um, you know, Spanish accounts and something like that. So deals are definitely going to get done if you fit into one of these niches. But just from like looking at the, the overall market, um, there's a lot of deals that got killed in the last three months, but there's still plenty of deals getting done. Uh, so I think, you know, if you're ready to sell your business, it's a good time. That's the other thing, you know, a seller really needs to to determine, can I get any more out of this business? Um, you know, or, you know, with my skills, can I get anything more out of this? And if you come to the conclusion that you can't really continue to grow it yourself, uh, you know, at the same growth rate, and maybe you're going to hit your ceiling, then you should sell.
0: Yep. Yep. I agree. A lot of aggrayers too, uh, I think are pivoting and then to just not just buying, but actually Creating their own products, creating their own brands, extending what they have, or even in some cases actually coming up with a an entire new brand and kind of putting it into their portfolio. Because some of them are figuring out that uh, in some cases, if, if they have a good team and can execute, it may actually be cheaper to to create a new brand than to to acquire a brand. They can get those economies of scale and get that cash flow going by acquiring. But then if they come in and they actually create something, you know, a new product line or a new brand, they get they can do well. Are you seeing any of them doing anything like that?
1: Yeah, I've absolutely seen some that are trying to launch their own brands. I've seen some that are buying brands and then killing that brand and and just changing the brand. So, so it's a single brand for the whole portfolio. Like I was alluding to earlier, everybody's got different strategies. Um, Some actually will have the the product launch uh, expertise to be able to do that. As you know, launching products is really hard to to be successful, Mm -hmm. particularly on Amazon. Uh, but even out in the wild, it's hard to launch products. So I think it really depends on what that aggregator strategy is, what their capabilities are. For some, it's still going to be cheaper for them to just go and acquire a brand that's already you know up and running.
0: Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, but we are seeing though, like uh, I do with with Steve Simonson, we have product savants where we actually take some of the pain points out of uh, helping people find products and. We we don't launch the products for them or we don't, you know, manage the, the supply chain or anything like that, but we find good opportunities on Amazon and then we do the sourcing. And then one of the things that we've noticed is that we've had a lot of people come to us and interested in what we call our brand genesis program, where we actually will create, you know, here's a line of five products that all fit within, you know, maybe in the automotive category or it's a, a home home and kitchen category, something in and, and and saying here you go, here's a here's a great opportunity for these five products that are all uh, related to each other, all complement each other. And we're seeing some of the aggregators and st- be interested in, in that kind of thing. And, and so I think some of them are, are kind of dabbling in both of those to, to just see w- where's the best fit, where's what's the best opportunity here. Besides just acquiring, it's gonna be interesting to see where that all goes.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think it, it's also you know from the strategy meetings inside some of those uh, companies, they're saying we have to be able to show some organic growth in addition to the inorganic acquisition growth. Um, so I think it's an important uh, thing from an evaluation standpoint to have that ability.
0: So what's your overall opinion uh, here, just to wrap up, of what is happening in the space and, and where is it going? You said you were just recently in some sort of meeting with a bunch of different aggregators in the space. And What's the general consensus or the general feeling of, of what's where we're going next with this, this whole industry?
1: Well, I don't think aggregators are going anywhere. I do think there'll be some rationalization and some consolidations. And typically what happens in any industry is the companies that survive a recession are usually really strong when they come out of it. So that's a, one of the things that I would look for, you know, with this 150 or 200 aggregators, how many are actually there two years from now? They're probably going to be really good, legitimate companies uh, that, that survive the, the tough times and, and uh, you know, things that are going on right now. And that so that's something I would look forward to. I also think that um, we're going to be in a high interest rate environment for, you know, interest rates are going to go up for the next couple of years and they're probably going to stay up for a few years. Um, so I think that's something that we're all going to have to deal with. There's that there's an impact on your operations because of working capital requirements and, you know, just the the ability to uh, run your business with, uh, you know, day to day debt. But also it affects the M&A market as well, because a lot of transactions are uh, partially financed with debt.
0: You know, back a few years ago when we, when you were doing one-on-one commerce and, you know, in the, in the late 2017, 18, 19, especially a lot of individual sellers, you know, a lot of the one man shops or the one or two person FBA sellers felt that the foreign based sellers, especially from Asia, were actually the main competition because some of these people were doing black hat stuff. Some of them, they had a competitive advantage because they spoke the language it can do, can do all kinds of, you know, things they had inside information But now where it's going is I kind of see that, you know, some of those guys are are backing off and they're focusing on Walmart or other platforms. So they're still there. But there's been a kind of a little pullback. Amazon has shut down some of the bad players. Where I'm seeing this going is these aggregators could become the next main competition and could become create this moat. They could acquire so many of these businesses uh, that have the high reviews and especially in a lot of the the big categories and the popular products where it's going to be almost impossible for a new seller to come in, or they're going to have to really niche down, niche down, niche down to have a chance. Do you see something like that, that aggregators are almost going to be putting a a different kind of gate around some of these product categories as as we continue going forward?
1: Yes, but I think it's bigger than that, Kevin. I think it's just so much more competitive to launch and operate, you know, any kind of products on Amazon. Uh, It's it's just so much more competitive. Um, And uh, hey, it's, it's Helium 10's fault you know, for uh, enabling so many people to kind of do product research and run their businesses and, and things like that. It's just gotten more competitive. And so whether it's Asian sellers or aggregators, whatever, I, I just think only the the strong will survive. And that, that could be a mom and pop. That could be a big company. That could be, you know, uh, an aggregator.
0: And now you helped a lot of the aggregators raise money to buy businesses. And now I understand you're helping sellers. Or what's, what's your latest little venture in this space that you're, that you're doing? Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, for years in this space, I've, I've been reached out to repeatedly uh, by people wanting help selling their businesses. And I finally started saying yes. So I'm actually helping a bunch of Amazon-related businesses uh, be sold, everything from Amazon SaaS businesses to FBA brands to uh, I've got an affiliate business that I'm bringing to market here pretty soon, too. So I'm doing that and having a ball with it, you know, because I've, I've done a lot of M and A in my career, and to kind of be uh, really helping, you know, uh, an entrepreneur kind of find their liquidity event is is pretty exciting, especially given, you know, that I'm, a, you know, basically an operator myself. I'm not just a, like an investment banker or broker and like that. I'm really an operator who's sold a, a, a number of businesses and bought a whole bunch of businesses. So I, I think I take a, a little bit different point of view. From the entrepreneur's perspective, I've been in their shoes. So that's kind of what I'm up to.
0: So if someone was looking, they're looking to do an exit and they wanted to reach out to you, how, how would they do that?
1: Uh, pretty easy. Uh, you can go to my website, inclinecapital.net, or most people actually find me on LinkedIn. Just uh, you know, find me on LinkedIn, send me a message, uh, but you also can go to my website.
0: Awesome. Well, RJ, I really appreciate your time today and uh, coming on and, and sharing your insights. It's always great to catch up with you and to, to speak with you. you. You always have your finger on the pulse of what's happening and it's been great.
1: Well, it's also fun to kind of come full circle that uh, a lot of my whole journey in the aggregator journey started with uh, an AMPM uh, podcast episode with you on it. So uh, that's really <laughs> full circle. It's fun to, fun to come back.
0: Great. Well thanks for coming on again. I'll let you get back to your family there. Be sure to reach out to, to RJ at inclinecapital.net or look him up on LinkedIn if you want to reach out if if you're looking to exit. RJ, appreciate it, man. All right. Take care. RJ really knows his stuff when it comes to this aggregator space. It's gonna be an interesting ride over the next couple of years to see where it shakes out. Hopefully this gave you a little bit of insight into where it came from, and where it's going. I definitely think it's going to have a major impact on all of us as Amazon sellers. Don't forget, if you are a member of Helium 10, you have access to the Freedom Ticket, which is an A to Z course on how to sell on Amazon. Be sure to check that out. And I hope you join us again next week for our next episode. It's going to be pretty action-packed. We're going to be talking about how our guest client took $10,000 and grew that into million and some of the tactics and techniques that he used. And now I just want to leave you with this week's golden nugget. If you ever find yourself in a negotiation, whether that be in business or in life, never make the first offer. You're always at a disadvantage if you make the first offer. So remember in all negotiations, never make the first offer. We'll see you again next week.